pray together? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for everything. For saving, saving me, for forgiving me, for saving others, for forgiving others, for giving us the life that we have, for, the, for giving us a purpose to, to, to fulfill, giving us jobs and, and roles to play. I pray now, Lord, as we read your word, that you would lift up and, and encourage and edify your church today. In your name, Jesus, I pray, I pray, amen. So we're in the second week of this sermon series that we're calling Things That Hinder, uh, and it's basically the idea that when things are going good in the life of the church, the enemy wants to get in the way of that. Uh, when God is working in your life, the enemy is going to, want, is going to be there trying to trip you up. Uh, the church, there's some cool things happening. Worship is up, giving is up, discipleship is up, uh, lift and brotherhood. This, if you watch any of the presidential, uh, the, if you watch the uh, State of the Union, you'll like this. Uh, <laughs> you'll like this. Uh, Lyft and Brotherhood had a record attendance this past month. Uh, I know marriages and families who have literally, who are literally seeing breakthroughs uh, financially, relationally. They're starting to see hope. There's some turning going on in the midst of that. And uh, there are people who I know who have been who have been uh, given a clean bill of health, who've been battling cancer for quite a while. Uh, here's some other great things. People are stepping up to, to do things that they haven't done in quite a long time. There's, there's new small groups that are going to be starting up in the next couple of months. There's people who felt like they weren't good enough to do something, but God has laid it on their heart, and so they're going to take that step of faith and, and do some of those kinds of things. And then check this out. You may know this already, but there are, there are and, and I'm really bad at counting things, uh, apparently, but um, there are already five district-licensed pastors at your church, okay, that, that are either, that some are on staff, some are, are growing, and I, I don't know if you know what that means, but that means that God has worked so much in the midst of your church that God has used you and has called people to ministry through your, your church, through our church. That is, that, I mean, if there's something to be proud of, that's it. Because one day those people, yeah, yeah, you should clap at yourself, yeah? One day those people will, will be sent out to, to lead the church. They're doing it now here in our local context, and, and maybe they'll be here forever, but one day they'll be sent to go and lead as God calls them, and that's great. Uh, this, this past week, I had a meeting with two more people who feel like God, through you, has, has called them to ministry. That is unheard of. That, that is crazy. It doesn't make any sense, but the, probably the reason it doesn't make sense is because we don't we don't think the church is, we don't think God works that way, but that is the way God works, right? We, we, we want to dumb God down sometimes, like, oh, he's not going to call that many people to ministry through our church down here in Sandersville, Georgia, but man, he does. And, and I also know, because I see people, I see it in your eyes when you talk to me. Some of you are, you know, when you, when, when you see people graduate and go and not come home, I can see a little bit of 
hurt, feelings. But I want to remind you, I know it's hard, but you should be honored because God sends people out all the time. And, and some of those people that you've sent and let go, God's using them around the world. And that doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean you like it. You don't have to like it. You can say you don't like it. But you should be, be honored that God has used you to be able to take, play a role in sending those out for the work of ministry. Great things are happening in our church, and I know, I know, I know, and as pastor, there's behind-the-scenes stuff that you don't need to know about. I know, I know, I know the enemy's going to be working and trying to snatch up some of the good things that are taking place. Jesus tells this parable about a sower who casts seed, right? He casts seed generously, and some of those seed, they fall on a path, right? And the enemy comes and quickly snatches away those seeds before they have a chance to grow any roots, right? And in the early days of people receiving God's vision for their life or or God is calling them and telling them and talking to them and they start to make decisions like, hey, God, I know that you at that altar told me to go and do this. In those early days responding to those, the enemy, those moments, the enemy's gonna be there and gonna be trying to snatch it up. The enemy wants to stop the good happening in your life and in our church, so be ready for it. Don't think for a second that following Jesus means everything is going to get easier. Don't think for a second. Now, there's going to be a lot of great things, but don't think for a second. We talked last week about how when Paul was converted and called by God, God said this, I am going to show Paul how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And we kind of joked, like, come on, God. That's not a real selling feature for coming to follow Jesus, right? And I don't want to lie to you, you know, that's not going to be all easy. There's going to be days when it's harder than others. And we talked last week about a couple of the things that the enemy's going to use. The enemy's going to use other people to hinder the ministry that's taking place through you, the work of God that's happening in your life. Other people. Here's what's interesting about other people. Some other people that hinder the ministry in your life, they're doing it on purpose because they're horrible people, right? We love them, but they are acting horribly selfish, mean, evil. Sometimes other people hinder the work of God in our lives because they're just totally clueless as to how they're acting or what they're saying or what they're doing. Whatever it is, other people get in the way of what God is doing in our life sometimes, Sometimes what gets in the way is ourselves, our human tendencies, our argumentative spirit, our pride, our jealousy, our constant need because of the world we live in to compare ourselves to others, our, our, uh, our envy. These are things that get in the way of the ministry that God wants us to do, and we'll be talking about that next week. And then the couple of weeks after that, we'll be talking a good bit of time about the unexpected circumstances that happen in life that get in the way of what God wants us to be doing. But before we go dig into how to deal with those other people today, I want to go to a passage of scripture found in Ephesians chapter 5 
verses 15 to 18. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you have your devices, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have either of those things, uh, the third option for you, you could look at the screen behind me. But this is one of those verses that's a principle, right? It's a, it's a, if you put this into practice, generally things will work out. Um, but it's not one of those things that you need to say dogmatically. Every situation, every time, this is exactly what I'm going to do. So let's read it together, and then we're going to walk through it for a few minutes this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 18 says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. This is not a drinking sermon, so try your very best to stop thinking about that. This is a sermon about putting a principle in place in our life to prevent us from ending up at a place we never intended to be. So let's look. Paul says, look carefully. And I'm gonna, I know I'm going to talk for a little bit because I just think that sometimes taking a little bit of time and, and, and digging it up and thinking about it really helps these words to sink in. Look carefully. You know, carefully is like a, a, a compound word, right? Which, which, which means full of care, right? Like, like what you would do to a vulnerable baby. You would look carefully after a vulnerable baby, right? A plant that is, that is needing that. I'm, I'm not a, I don't know anything about plants, but you know, you can't break them. You can't treat them rough care, with careful hands, Right? Look carefully then how you walk. Right? Most of us don't have to look down and, and watch our feet, so just so we know we don't need to be doing that. But there will be times in life where you should have been doing that. Right? Places where there are lots of animals. Um, in, in yards that you're not used to. My kids, two of them were born in Hawaii. One of them was born in Washington State. They didn't know about anthills. They didn't know what that was, right? And so, uh, you know, when we first moved here, it was like teaching them, look carefully, kids, where you walk. And if any of you have not looked carefully where you walked and you stepped in an anthill, you better believe the rest of your life You've looked carefully. You now look carefully where you walk, right? Yeah, somebody needs to say amen to that because that is the worst experience ever. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. All throughout the scripture, the wisdom of the Lord is compared to the foolishness of the world, right? It's one or the other, right? making the best use of the time, right? Manage the days you have, right? How much time are you spending on this versus that? Make the best use of time. Why? Because the days are evil. 
It is all around us. You are going to be drugged this way and drugged that way and, and enticed this way. And you're going to find out very quickly, if you haven't already, that, that it's not going to be easy to make the best use of your time because there's going to be a lot of things that waste your time. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then this last part, which a lot of people focus on as a principle for whether you drink or don't drink alcohol, Paul then gives an example of how this principle that he just laid out for us, if you put it into place in your life, it will help you. Here's what he says. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Right? Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Okay, first. First, we just talked. Look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of your time. Be careful. Right? And here's an example of how to do it. Don't get drunk. Right? When you're drunk, you don't have control of yourself anymore. Right? And that leads to all sorts of things. Debauchery, a general term, right, for all of the stuff that goes on. You know, when you're more flirty than you should be, you're saying things more than you should, you're acting, th- you're not in control of yourself, right? Don't get drunk because that leads you down a path that you don't want to be down. This is the principle here, right? Put something in place now that prevents you from getting to a place filled with regret. You know it, I know it. Right? We know how alcohol can ruin lives. We know how multiple scenarios can ruin lives. People don't intend to be somewhere, but they end up there. They didn't intend for those choices that they were making to, to lead them down that path. But when they were down that path, they looked back and they were like, man, I had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to get off of that road. And nobody's like, oh, I'm so glad I made all those mistakes. Nobody's thinking, thank God for all of those mistakes and ending up down here. They're not like that. So we need to be careful how we walk, making the best use of our time because the days are evil. And so I'm going to challenge you with a couple of principles to put in place in your life so that you can avoid having other people distract you from what God is wanting you to do. Here's the first one. Be cautious. Be cautious. Be careful who you promote to fill leadership. Right? While, while this can apply to the church, this is a principle to put everywhere. Never choose anyone in a hurry. You know, I need a, I need a hole filled. I need to put somebody there. Or, or based on their personality. Some people are great. They're, they're just people, people. You know, they just know how to make everybody happy. Right? Those are the kind of people that I'm, I'm always skeptical of. But, 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 but never put them into leadership just because of their personality. Or because they have a lot of resources, money. Don't put them there because, oh, if, well, they, they have a lot of resources. If I promote them into leadership, then maybe I'll be able to get some sort of financial uh, benefit to our cause by putting them there. Don't, don't let that be the thing that dictates you. Or don't even promote someone to leadership if, if they have a lot of influence. 
right? Don't be like, well, that person has influence and I need that for my, my team. So I'm gonna put them there. Don't, don't, don't just use that. Now that might benefit your team, but it may not be the best for your team. Be very careful. In the church, just because someone comes to church often or regularly does not mean they're qualified to take on a big, huge responsibility of leadership. In your businesses, think about this. Think about if you hired people quickly of the mistakes that you, you experienced. Right? It, it's so hard to fire someone because you, you now know the person and you spent some time with them. It's way easier to not hire them Talk no one, don't beg anyone to join your team. If you have to beg them, maybe they don't need to be on your team. Right? Don't try to manipulate anyone into leaving your team. Right? Let it work out. Don't don't apply pressure. If someone needs to leave and you are the preserved position in power, you have the authority to do that, don't drag your feet. Get them off the team. Right? If they don't need to be there in your life, in your team, in the ministry, if they're hindering what needs to happen, holding on to them is not good. Sitting there, man, I just hope it all works out. I hope it all works out. I hope it all works out. That's just kind of like kicking the can down the road, you know? Now, 1 Timothy 3 lays out a checklist for leaders in the church. But imagine if this is a checklist that we kind of used for anybody that we allowed in positions of leadership or, or authority in our world. Imagine. Here's what First Timothy says. Uh, he says, they say this. Uh, they, these who you would allow to be in leadership because you've given them time. Here's what. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. I don't know anybody who can, who can argue and debate with all facts and reason. The mystery of God showing up and, and convincing us to believe in him. Right? All of us have a different story, but, but we can't say factually and prove with science that God came into our heart, changed our heart and our mind, transformed it. All we can do is be like, that's what God did, and here's how my life has changed. Right? And, and, and there's some mystery with that, because people who aren't a part of the church, they don't believe our story, because they just, don't, they, just don't, they just don't get it yet. There's some mystery there, right? There's some wonder there. When people are healed, we know, those of us who have seen the healing, we can say with, with, with such clear conscience, God did that. But when we say that to others, they don't, they don't quite understand. They don't quite get it, right? So those in leadership, imagine in the church if we said to those who could, who could say with a clear conscience the thing that's really hard to explain, they're that, they're that, uh, uh, they're that, solid in their faith that they can say it as if they believe it even when people don't believe them with a clear conscience now here's where we get into where some things could really help us inside and outside the church they must be dignified people that you would promote not double-tongued right not like lying not saying thing to the one group over here and then saying a different thing over here to make people happy not addicted to too much wine not greedy for dishonest gain. Let them be tested first. 
Then let them serve as deacons. Then let them serve. After they've been tested. Can you imagine? It just seems so common sense to me why we wouldn't allow someone to prove themselves before we promote them to some place where they have a lot of authority and and responsibility. It just seems so silly to me why anybody everywhere would just say, well, they have a heartbeat. They must be good enough. Or that because they turn a certain age, they're just instantly responsible. Not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful. Let the deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children well. Right? It is not unchristlike to look for the fruit of Christ in people's life. It's not mean. It's not rude. It's hard. It's one of the hard tasks of leadership is saying, of following Christ, of being a part of the church, of owning a business, is saying, you're not quite ready yet. That's one of the things I love about sports. Coaches all the time have to bench super talented people because they're not quite ready yet. Sometimes in the church and in the world, we're not cautious enough about who we allow in leadership. Don't even get me started about politics. Sometimes it's better to have fewer in leadership that are better than many who are poor. So imagine if you put this into place with, with the people that you promote in your life, this principle in place. Make a, make, set a guardrail so that you don't end up with a bunch of people in positions of power and authority that, are, that were not ready to be there in the first place. Imagine if you put this in place and said, we're going to take our time with this. Imagine, church, if we always took our time with this. Now, I know, I know that, that this isn't always going to be easy as a business owner, as a pastor, as a leader, but, but imagine if you did this. You took your time and you waited. The second thing I think that we could do to, to prevent ourselves ending up in places where other people enter the ministry is, is if, we are, if we start to be careful who we count as advisors. Right? Be careful who we count as advisors. I'm going to ask this. Who, who, is, who are the people that you go to for advice? Or, can you name them on one hand? I hope so. I hope you don't go to your Facebook friends for advice. You know that anybody can have a Facebook account, right? Just about anybody. Right? And, and not anybody should be someone that you allow to be your advisor. Right? Do you let the news give you advice? Right? I'm generally conservative in principle, but the news lies to me all the time. Right? Even the news channel that I agree with lies to me constantly. I, you know, and it's like, I agree with you, but you're a liar. You know, you didn't even try to tell the truth. 
you know, be careful who you let give you advice. Right? And when you find advisors, hold on to them. One of the things you should look for in an advisor is someone who can be trustworthy. Right? And it's hard to find these folks. Right? But little by little by little, you will find them. James says this about the importance of someone who is trustworthy, someone who can hold their tongue. Here's what James says in chapter 3. He says, We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James is arguing basically, if you can control your tongue, you're pretty good. You are up there in a self-discipline sort of ranking system. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships. They're huge, driven by strong winds, but they're guided by a small rudder. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. That is the importance of an advisor in our life. The words that they say to us have great potential. For good or for destruction. In the Northwest, one of the things that, that makes that part of the country beautiful is giant, majestic mountains. And on those giant, majestic mountains, there are usually these big green trees everywhere. Everywhere. All over the place. You'd think it would get redundant, but it doesn't. It is amazing and beautiful, and you just can't explain it. About three years ago, about three years ago, I woke up one day, and there was ash falling in my front yard. Like, and it wasn't from the neighbor's burn pile. I mean, it was ash, like raining from the sky. I'd never seen anything like it before. It was crazy. And, and so I, I, I text somebody I knew who, and I was like, what is this? Is there something that happens here every so often that I've never experienced before? And no, it turns out that there was some punk kids. I'm just kidding. There were some kids. If you're a kid, I'm sorry. I just threw you under the bus. There were some kids, and they were hiking on a trail. Three of them. And a 15-year-old kid lights a firecracker and throws it off the edge of the path. Small firecracker, something you would not think anything of. And they videotaped him throwing it off. So there was video evidence of what he did. 48,000 acres destroyed. 15-year-old, 48,000 acres, one small decision. 48,000 acres of impact. His name was published in the paper, hated by many, because those trees were significant to that part of the country. It's beautiful. Burned down acres and acres and homes and houses and destroyed roads and just, just 48,000 acre by a small firecracker. And, and James understood the power of fire. And we need to understand that too with who we pick as advisors. The words that they say to us, how they teach us, how they give us advice, there's potential for greatness. 
There's also potential for terrible, terrible consequences. And if we let the wrong people give us advice, we might end up in some places that we never, never, never would want to be. And one of the ways preventing other people from, from hindering what God wants is by picking those advisors wisely. Those who are older than me, you've seen this over and over and over and over again. Right? And hopefully you, older than me, have advisors like that you can go to. Those of you who are my age, you might still be looking for them. Keep looking and find them. Don't think you need to pick these people quickly. Those of you who are younger than me, please listen to this. Please listen to this. Pick your mentors wisely. The third thing I think we can do so we don't end up down a road is is being careful how we deal with the opposite sex. I know I just shifted gears a little bit there, but, but, but I'm not joking with this. Be careful with how you relate to people of the opposite gender. Here's some general rules. Don't spend a lot of time alone with someone of the opposite gender. Don't ride alone in the car with them. Don't write them little notes. Don't go out to dinner alone with them. Don't, 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 don't. I know, I'm putting a lot of don'ts out there, right? I'm not a legalistic person. I don't even like rules, right? If you're married, if you're a grown-up, right, you need to be careful with this because nobody, nobody says, I am trying to ruin my marriage. Nobody gets to themselves down that road and, real, and look back and be like, man, I'm so glad I got here and ruined my family, right? Some of you might say that these kind of rules are, are a little harsh or old school. I don't care. I love you, but I don't care. You're wrong about this. All right? You're wrong about this. I want to say this with grace and truth. Don't give any reason to ruin the trust in your marriage. Some of you have experienced this. And I'm sorry. Some of you have been through it. Some of you have worked through it. Some of you, you just couldn't work through it. But, but let me tell you, not everyone of the opposite sex wants your best interests. Not everyone is, is, is into this to make your life better. Of the studies on divorce and the brokenness in families inside the church, one of the greatest causes for the brokenness deals with relationships with other genders. Because trust is broken. Hurt happens. And don't, don't even, it's not even, it's not even infidelity. It doesn't even have to be that. So don't get close. First Corinthians says this, run, flee from sexual immorality. Every sin is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. It ruins things. It ruins things. Don't even get close. Run from it. Put the guardrails in place in your life. Don't get as close to the edge of the cliff. Don't say, I got this. Don't say, I'm in control. Don't tell me you won't fail. Everyone who fails said, I never thought I would fail. Everyone who it happens to thinks that will never happen to them. 
As we wrap up, some of the biggest hurts and heartaches are caused involving other people. Nobody plans for their marriage to be ruined. Nobody plans to hire or promote the wrong person into leadership. And and, and nobody is excited about the fact that the enemy is out there trying to snatch up the good that's happening in our lives. But the principles that we read this morning are true. Paul says this, look carefully how you will walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so I want to say this. Put these things into place in your life. They are principles and they are generally true. When they're established, they can prevent other people from distracting you from the life and purpose that God has for you. Please don't hear them as cold, hard, legalistic practices. Please hear them as wisdom to prevent you from experiencing the heartache that all other people who have been down those roads have experienced. They are to help and free us, not to trap us and hold us back. As the band comes, I want to conclude with three things. God wants all of us to do our part in ministry. All of us. So if there are steps that you need to take that maybe we talked about today or maybe they're just things that God has been talking to you about, please respond to God and put those things into practice to prevent other people from hindering what God wants you to be doing. Second thing is that I really want to answer this question. What does God want from all of us? God wants us all to worship him and exalt him. God wants us to worship him, not ourselves. God wants us to actually kind of think less of ourselves and more of him. To make others disciples of Jesus. To lead others to Jesus. To love others. You see the word other? It's there a lot. Right? It's, it's there a lot because others matter. It isn't really about our comfort and about our ease. Because if that's what we're after, you don't want to be a part of our church. <laughs> because God's working in our church, and it's going to be hard some days. And there are times when God wants us, in fact, or lets us go through uncomfortable times, and we're going to need to push through it. God wants all of us to do our part. So put those things into practice so that you can try to prevent and hinder, prevent these things that will hinder you. And lastly, there's this. God also wants every single one of us to have a relationship with him. God so loved the world, the Bible says, that he sent his son Jesus to die for all. Some of you know him, some of you don't. Some of you have been walking with him a long time. Some of you haven't walked with him at all for a long time. I just want to make sure that you know where you're at with God. If you've never started to follow him, maybe you need to talk to somebody today. If you've been walking with him but kind of been wandering, maybe today's a day where you recommit that relationship with him. Use this time as the band sings to respond to what God has laid on your heart. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the call that you placed on all of us and the purpose that you've given all of us. Help us to do what you want us to do today. Help the words that I said to be words that that the people hear the way you want them to hear it. Help our church as we go forward protect us.
protect us and help us to, to be people who can push through any of the things that get in the way of what you want us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.